welcome to the latest Renatus podcast. Donald Murphy speaks to Renatus advisor and investor Greg Dilger about the amazing evolution of DCC. It's a story of consistent, brilliant growth and one of Ireland's best corporate success stories. We hope you enjoy it. I'm delighted to welcome uh, to the Renatus podcast today, uh, Donald Murphy, the CEO of DCC, uh, definitely one of Ireland's uh, business success stories of recent years. Uh, I think many people will probably be familiar with familiar enough with DCC, but I guess too there there will be some that won't know much about it. So, so for background, um, just a few uh, numbers and and uh, pieces of information that might be helpful. Uh, last year, uh, uh, revenue fourteen billion, uh, operating profit six hundred million, and by the way, that operating profit has been increasing at a compound rate of 14% since the company floated. 14,000 employees, operations in 20 countries, and they've made 300 acquisitions, possibly more at this stage. They're also very, it's a very highly regarded management team. You'll be delighted to hear, Donald. And it, it's well accepted that their standard of governance is a top class as well. So, and I suggest having a look at the annual report there. They're also a member of the FTSE 100 index. You know, this is a really excellent company and we're very interested in hearing what you have to say, Donald, and lots of things. Um, so before we talk about uh, the company as it is today, I think it'd be helpful if you gave us a very brief history of DCC from the from the time it was founded. Sure, great. Look, Greg, it's a, it's a real pleasure uh, to be here and thank you for... Uh, Thank you for your interest in, uh, in DCC. So D DCC, you know, uh, it's a, a story, I suppose, the two parts to really. DCC was founded back in 1976 by Jim Flavin, who many people will know uh, as uh, a venture capital business. Uh, grew from 1976 until the end of the 1980s uh, to be Ireland's leading venture capital company. We were growing geographically. We had an office in London. We had an office in Boston. Uh, and we had about 50 investments on the books in a completely diverse set of industry sectors. Uh, you know, I suppose the style was to be a little bit more hands-on as a VC at the time. And as you know, some people embrace that, some people don't like that. But the companies that really embraced that performed really well uh, under uh, DCC's kind of uh, investment uh, style. And, you know, as we got, I suppose, closer to the end of the 1980s, uh, really stood back and looked at the strategy of the group and looked at how we were going to accelerate uh, the growth of the organization. Performance had been really good. Uh, the business had a 23% return on its invested capital uh, on average over its time as a venture capital company, uh, but decided to become an industrial group. And I suppose a little bit, uh, Greg, of uh, strategy and tactics. Uh, we looked at the portfolio of investments we had at the time and we picked businesses that we believed had above average growth potential in the medium to longer term. And typically they were sales and marketing businesses and they were across a diverse set of industry sectors. So as we set about building DCC into the structure uh, that it is today, you know, diversity was at the core of what DCC was about. So we wanted to be a diverse group. We wanted to be a group that was building businesses that were recurring revenue, cash generative businesses, generating high returns in capital. So from the end of the 1980s, beginning of the 1990s, you know, the business went through a process of buying out, controlling interest, and ultimately 100% ownership in businesses uh, in 
the energy sector, mm. technology sector, healthcare sector, food and beverage sector, environmental services. Mm. We had a couple of other businesses that were a little bit, uh, I suppose, hangovers from our time as a venture capital company that, uh, that formed part of the group. Uh, I wasn't there in those days. Uh, I've been around for a good while, I've been 24 years uh, in the organization. I joined in 1998. We were really coming towards the end of that migration. Mm went public in, 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 in 1994. And, you know, when I joined, uh, DCC was, was a smaller business, but it was in the structure uh, that we are today. And we really set about with a very clear strategy. And if you went back uh, to our prospectus when we went public and you, mm. you pulled it out and you look at the strategy statement, it's not very different to the mm. strategy statement that we have today for the group. So we've had a consistent strategy all the way through that 27 years uh, as a public company. As you mentioned earlier, you know, if you stand back and you look at the track record, you know, we've grown our earnings 14.2% uh, year on year throughout that uh, 27 year period. We've had an unbroken uh, dividend growth record. We've converted over 100% of our cash, uh, of our profits into cash. So highly cash generative. Mm -hmm. And we've always maintained uh, very high returns on capital. And and we've done that while scaling the group into a business. And actually, uh, if you look at the uh, at the scale of the group today, we're actually in 21 countries. And we actually have, as of today, post Almo, 15,400 people that drive the mm. performance of DCC every day. And DCC uh, is very much a people business. And, uh, you know, in some respects, I'm at the bottom of the pile because my job here is to support the growth and development uh, of the organization and to support mm. our business. Uh, across all 21 countries you know, to drive that performance and uh, and continue to grow and develop. And you know, the great thing uh, sitting where we sit today, because uh, lots of people look to the past and look at you know a track record and what have you achieved, you know, we don't do that. You know, we're very much a growth-oriented business. We're focused all about the future. And you know, and I absolutely believe this, you know, we're only starting. You know, because if you stand back and you look at the platforms that we have created uh, across the sectors that we're in today, across those three sectors, across the geographies that we're in, you know, we have so many platforms for accelerated growth within the group. And to give you one example, and then uh, I'll stop talking no, and let you ask keep talking. Question. It's great. But, but if we, to, to give you an example, you know, it is only four years ago. Uh, literally four years ago that we made our first acquisition in North America, you know, and we've been looking at the market for a period of time. And today, all three sectors are in North America. We have 31% of our capital employed in North America. We've 3,000 people working for DCC in North America. And actually, in each of those sectors, we very modest market shares in very large markets. So the opportunity in North America to scale our business, and it's just one of the geographies mm. we're in, after a period of four years, is, 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 is very substantial for us. And, and that has been the essence of the DCC model. You know, if I go back, I, I talked about our strategy statement and, you know, to, 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 to use the, the terms, you know, it's to build a growing, sustainable, cash-generative business, which consistently provides returns and capital employed well in excess of our cost of capital. But that's a motherhood statement. It's really about how we go about doing that. And 
given that most of our businesses now we have a in our health and beauty business, their contract manufacturing businesses, but the vast bulk of the rest of our business across the three sectors are sales and marketing mm. and distribution uh, businesses. And in sales and marketing businesses, scale is very important. Mm. So, you know, our first objective is to grow a leadership position within the markets that we're in. So having started in each of those sectors in Ireland, you know, we built our businesses from a leader from from nothing to a leadership position. Take Flowgas here in Ireland. You know, Flowgas, one of the first investments DCC made back in 1977, we backed a couple of entrepreneurs to build an importation terminal for propane uh, up in Drogheda by a truck. And we've grown that business to a multi-energy business here in Ireland. We have 43% mm. share of the, of the LPG market. We're one of the leaders in renewable gas and electricity within the Irish market. Uh, you know, we have building out our energy services businesses. And having built that leadership position in Ireland, we took the capability, the skills that we had, bought a little business in Britain, and has grown that into 33% share of the British market. Mm. Then grew into continental Europe, now growing into uh, America. And again, in the space of four years, we've gone from nothing to having operations now in 22 mm. states in the US and our propane business. Uh, you know, we're serving a half a million customers uh, in, uh, in the US, you know, and we've 1.7% share of that market. Mm. So we're only getting started. And so that bit of get a leadership position, you know, take that leadership position, take the capability, take the partnerships that you have, bring that into a new market, build a leadership position within that mm. market and move on to a new geography mm. and do that while you're building that business safely, securely, scaling it. You know, we have a huge philosophy of driving operational excellence across our businesses. And if you think about the scale and just take our energy businesses, we sell 16 and a half billion liters of fuel across our energy businesses. I always talk to the management about 0.1 of a penny improvement that we can get out of our operating metric. Every 0.1 of a penny is 16 and a half million pounds sterling that goes straight to our bottom line. And there's 0.1 of a penny in the routing and scheduling of mm. our fleet in the optimization of the procurement of our product, in the optimization of the infrastructure that we have uh, across our businesses before we ever look at our margin. So that focus on excellence, you know, using technology to drive operational improvements across our businesses, always innovating yeah. within our businesses to better interface with our customers, give better solutions to our customers, better interface with our suppliers, that drives that operational performance. We have a focus on managing our business on a devolved, decentralized, entrepreneurial basis. So if you walk into any business in any of the countries that DCC operates in, you'd say our teams are very commercial teams. Mm -hmm. They're focused on their market. They're incentivized on their market. They're not waiting for instructions mm -hmm. to come from here about what they do locally within their market. They're really close to their customers. And that agility that that creates, you know, creates huge flexibility in the organization. And as we went into the COVID pandemic, you know, we sat back like every organization. We ran our scenarios. What's this going to do? What's demand going to be like? How are we going to survive? What's our cash flow going to be? 
And very quickly, our business has adapted to a fundamentally new way of operating because of that devolved model, because of that agility we have uh, in our organization. So it's key to our operating model. And that enables us to grow at pace, to deploy capital, because you know, if we make a change in a business, we're making a change in a discrete business unit. It's not impacting on the yeah. entire organization. Yeah. So uh, hugely important in our ability to manage the diversity in the group, to manage the geographic spread and to grow uh, at pace. And we want to always do that while keeping a very strong financial position. Mm. And why do we do that? One, because nature of our businesses, we're buying commodities, we're buying technology products, we're buying healthcare products and selling them into our customer base. So leveraging that balance sheet to get the best terms we can from our suppliers mm. to give us real poise when we're dealing with our suppliers and negotiating our supply contracts and to have the capital to be able to move quickly from an M&A perspective. Mm. And DCC's number one objective is to grow our businesses organically. We get up every day and mm. we focus on driving organic growth, but then we supplement that with acquisition activity. Mm. And it's not, you know, lots of businesses kind of use acquisition activity to make up for poor performance within their mm. businesses. We're all the time focused yes. on driving that organic performance and then supplementing it uh, with, uh, with, 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 with M&A activity. And we built, as you said earlier, right, we built a real competency in that, you know, over 300 acquisitions uh, over our history. Lots of smaller acquisitions, yes. but plenty of big acquisitions within that. And it actually doesn't matter whether it's a billion pound acquisition or a 500 million or a mm. 10 million or a 1 million. Actually, the process is very similar. I've yeah. been uh, involved in, 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 in lots of acquisitions over uh, over the years. And, you know, the learnings that you get from every acquisition, mm. it's always something that comes up. There's things you learn, the way to do things. That has created a real competency within this organization where M&A is a key part of uh, the way we do business. So you string all that stuff together. Yes. Uh, and, you know, that's what's delivered that performance. You know, we have uh, we have a super team uh, say all the time, you know, we buy and sell other people's products. So our differentiator mm -hmm. is our people, you know, that commercial focus, that agility, that drive for performance, you know, wanting to make a difference, wanting to win mm -hmm. all the time. Uh, and that's creates the buzz yeah. uh, in the organization, which which has which has driven that consistent performance over a very long period. It's it's clear uh, listening to you the the buzz, which is great. Um, just what I was going to ask you later, but now seeing as we're talking about the acquisitions, you've you've got four different um, divisions that do different stuff, and you've got different management teams within the businesses of those groups. How how do you actually manage the acquisitions situation in terms of this center? The head offices. Um, do, you, do you have a corporate finance kind of capacity where you you help them all, or how does it how does it work? Sure. Yeah. So so a little bit uh, a little bit of at both levels, Greg. You know. So we have. Um, so again, like give you an example. Say in our you know, some of our businesses. You know, let's take our, our our propane business in the US, which you know which we've been building. Uh, through acquisition, we bought our first business. One of the first things that we did after buying that business was to put in a corporate development team into that business because mm -hmm. it's a highly fragmented market. There's 4,000 players within the market. So, 
you know, we didn't just want to buy that retail West business yeah. and sit back and say, now we have a propane business in the US. We wanted to consolidate the market. So we invest in the capability within the business, you know, so that they're close to the ground. They're building the relationships. Very hard to do that from the other side yeah. of the Atlantic. So, uh, you know, so putting capability into the businesses. Bigger deals, you know, so if I look back over over time, a lot of the bigger deals, you know, have been originated and managed through the divisional teams mm -hmm. and the divisional teams notionally uh, all sit here at the centre, but, you know, we're out and, mm -hmm. you know, having uh, spent most of my career here in a, a divisional role, you're out on the road, you're building relationships, you're finding opportunities, yep. you know, so, so that development piece you know, finding the opportunities is within the division uh, or sometimes within the individual business units. You know, and then we have a central corporate finance team that actually help manage the execution, manage the process, play fullback, yeah. you know, because, uh, you know, having been the, you know, the originator and the doer of deals, you want someone that's challenging mm. it to make sure that your all your uh, processes, your due diligence is, is is as tight as it should be, you know, that the legal agreements are as robust mm. uh, as they can be, you know, you're negotiating the right terms, et cetera, et cetera. So, so you know, we, ha we have a we have a central corporate finance team to, to, to support that. But an awful lot of the activities that we have here at the centre are in that support function basis mm. that we're providing the support to the businesses you know but really want our businesses to be customer facing vendor facing you know facing the markets that they're in because that's where you have the best relationships uh, on the ground within the uh, within the market and that's where you know that acceleration of growth because you know we've bought businesses now in uh, in north america that we would never have heard of mm. from this side of the atlantic but because we bought the first yes. business you know and it came with a team and that team had relationships and those relationships opened her the doors and you know and that's been you know a key part of the uh, the development agenda for uh, DCC well it's uh, whatever however you've done it it's uh, it seems to be working pretty pretty well um donald um just in terms of uh, people's understanding of the group you've mentioned a couple of the divisions here but um where lpg is is a significant, the biggest one i think the retail and oil uh healthcare and and technology so that's 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 the breakdown um maybe you could give us a little bit of an understanding how they all fit together because to the naked eye it, they're four very different types of businesses and what are they doing there together and and i know sure. i know you're going to give it a lot you're going to tell me you're well used to this story and i know it sits together beautifully but i struggle myself sometimes to think what brings it together but i'm you can tell me again for about the 25th time <laughs> no, it's fine, Greg. And 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 in ways, um, yeah. So there's, the, you know, we 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 we're kind of are structured, if you like, under those four mm. divisions uh, that you talked about. But but think about it in three sectors because actually energy is the one okay. that just happens to split it uh, into uh, into two components. So energy, healthcare, uh, and tech. Energy, healthcare, and tech. And you know, so what what uh, you know what keeps them together there's no commercial kind of synergies 
between those three businesses. So so you're right. Like when you look at it and you say, well, what's the logic? What's the commercial synergy? Mm. There's no real commercial synergies. Uh, there's a little bit of benefit we get from a procurement perspective, from, uh, you know, from, uh, if you like, a, a professional services yes. perspective of being, being part of a big group. But, but we don't, you know, we don't go out to sell, you know, technology products to our energy mm. customers or healthcare products or whatever. That's, that's not what it's about. So, you know, the shape of the group and the sectors we're in, came from that history mm-hmm. that I talked about earlier. You know, we we like diversity. You know, why did we want to keep diversity within our business model? We want to keep diversity within our business model because it does a number of things. One, it has driven that resilience in the profitability performance yep. of the group. So I, I've been around it for 24 years. I've never really, there might have been one year or maybe two years where all the industries were firing on all cylinders mm. at the same time. Yeah. You know, you go through periods where, you know, there's it's a slow technology cycle, there's there's less new tech products coming to the, the market, it might be a bit slower. You know, you go through periods where uh, you get, you know, uh, I suppose less so now because of the diversity within our energy business, but in the past when we were, you know, when our, our, our business was less geographic dispersed and more heating related, we had mild winters that we yes. used to talk about yes. and that would have impacted on our business and you know but actually when you put them together you know that gives and has given over all our 27 years a very resilient performance mm. in terms of that consistency kind of from a from from a growth perspective over over the years the other thing very important in terms of the diversity is the optionality that it gives us to deploy capital. So we've been, and again, I've been around it for a while. Like if you take our uh, our LPG activities, you know, we were 35 years only in Britain and Ireland, not from one to trying, knocking mm. on doors, trying to find opportunities yep. to deploy capital, you know, but they just weren't there yep. at the return levels that uh, made sense for us. And then all of a sudden, 2012 came along and we bought BP's business in, in Holland and Belgium, mm. we bought Statoil's business in Norway and Sweden, bought PP's yep. business in the UK, 2015, we bought the Buda Gas business, 2017, we bought the Shell business in Hong Kong, you know, 2018, we started to move into in, 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 into the US market, you know, and if we'd have gone through a period and said, well, actually, mm. that, there is an acquisition opportunities there or whatever, you know, or we were purely a propane business, you know, we may have made the wrong decisions in terms of chasing deals, trying to force capital deployment so diversity gives us that optionality in terms of where we where we deploy capital within our diversity as well we have different growth characteristics across our Mm. businesses so our healthcare business is the highest organic growth our nature of our businesses it's kind of a four to six percent per annum uh, organic growth the market level growth technology is a three to five percent growth market Mm. you know New energies, and we come on and talk, I'm sure, yes. about energy and where energy is going, but new energy is very high growth, really high growth segment mm. of the market where we're deploying capital in. You know, and then the, the more traditional energies is is a more modest growth element of the business. Mm. But we have optionality to leverage different growth characteristics in those markets okay. by being part of, uh, of the organization. And then, you know, the fundamental one is and I've managed a number of those businesses over the years in running uh, the divisions. Actually, because they're typically sales and marketing activities, the management disciplines are very similar. So when we sit at our management meeting, all our businesses, day-to-day trading businesses, Mm. 
every week we sit down, we have our weekly forecast for what's happening across the entire organization, what the anomalies are, what the action plans are in place. You know, so it's about managing the day-to-day performance. It's about managing our margins, optimizing our costs, mm. managing our working capital. And those characteristics are the same yeah. across yes. each of the businesses we're in. They're typically asset like their recurring revenue. So your management discipline, you know, so actually I would argue that our business, even though the sectors are different, are different yeah. is much more consistent than if you were running a financial services organization yeah. where you have everything from credit cards, investment banking, retail banking, you know, because they're very different. Whereas actually our processes are very similar. similar. Yeah. I think that's very, so that's, yeah, that's very well explained because I think I think it's so easy to 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 look at it and come to the conclusion that I, I was suggesting that my God that that's an unusual bunch of businesses. Donald, just to, um, you, you mentioned uh, allocation of capital a while back. Um, just to, uh, the what? How do you cope with if you've you've different divisions all with development plans looking for money? Uh, how do you marry that with your overall strategy of where you're going to put money and keep them happy and feed them what they want and and obviously you want to put more money perhaps in your higher margin businesses and less in your lower margin how how do you manage that process it sounds like it could be complicated yeah it's a a couple of things greg on that so so the overarching metric that we use in managing the business and you look at the 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 business and you rightly say we have different margin profiles and different sectors Mm. that we operate within we have High volume businesses, low margin, but actually very high return on capital. Uh, and we have some higher margin uh, businesses, maybe lower volume mm. uh, in, in some sectors. Uh, so return on capital is the, if you like, the base yep. that we measure yep. everything off. That gives a consist. So, so that, you know, if you look last year, we had uh, returns on, on, on capital employed at 17.1%. So very high returns on capital. So we use that, you know, and not just on a day but, but when we're looking at acquisitions yes. you know short medium long term you know and it doesn't matter what the sector is you know what's the return on capital yeah. that we're going to be able to generate out of this business and so long as the returns on capital you know and sustainable returns mm. on capital are high you know then we'll deploy the capital in that sector so we don't portfolio manage so we're not trying to say i want to put 50% of my M&A spend into healthcare okay. and almost 20% into uh, LPG or something. We we are very much focused on the returns, sustainable returns. And that's very important when we come on and talk mm. about energy over the long term, you know, that we're generating uh, those sustainable returns on capital. And then, you know, the priority for capital deployment kind of follows that growth mm. dynamic of the business. Yeah. So in an ideal world, if we could find lots of opportunities to deploy capital at the right returns in healthcare, mm. well, of course, we'd like to do that because that's generating the highest organic growth. So it's going to drive the best long-term performance of the organization. So we look at the capital deployment priorities, mm. you know, but as I say, we're doing it on the basis of, you know, I'd love to be in a situation, Greg, where we've so many opportunities on the table that we have to ration capital, mm. you know, because then you'd be saying, well, actually, I'm going to, yes. you know, all things being equal, if I have three deals and more more capital than I have available yes. to me, and, you know, one is in healthcare, you know, 
one is in technology, mm. one is in traditional energy. Well, I'm going to do the healthcare mm. one all the time because it doesn't generate a higher return on capital. But but the reality is that no, I, I was happen. I was thinking that maybe you it's conceivable that you would sort of disenfranchise maybe the business that's perhaps not getting capital employed in the way they would like. It's going elsewhere, and they're feeling a bit a bit uh, yeah. sore and, about it. You're always uh, you know you you always think about those mm-hmm. things you know uh, but actually you know the, the the challenge back to that and, and i say it's not i don't have a situation where uh i can say well you know we were in that situation here's because we haven't been but uh you know my pushback to the businesses is all about the valuation and the value that they're creating mm-hmm. so if someone has an opportunity and it's generating mm-hmm. you know, a 10 percent return well, we're not going to do it yes you know so you know our job is to find value-adding mm. acquisitions that generate high returns on capital. And the management teams, the development directors, the divisional management, they all know that. So they're not coming forward with stuff. And I'm sitting here saying, ah, lads, you know, yeah. I'd love to do that. Yeah. We'll have a better opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's that's the way we're, we're, we're kind of wired. And right? presumably, don't the, your your sort of remuneration policies and all of that are consistent with that. That there there is no incentive to grow your own patch at a lower margin than 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 another piece of the business. I, I, absolutely, and and if you if you look at our um, you know both our short term and our mm. long term, you know a key part of our remuneration is that return mm. on capital employee. So, uh, and there's loads of companies, and I won't call out names now because uh, they get me into trouble. But there's loads of companies that, uh, and, and it's it's a it's a, a almost a pet a pet project that I do myself sometimes. If you map return on capital employed and EPS growth. And if you have them both going in the same direction, yeah. that's great. You know, if you have EPS going like that and you have your return on capital going like that, that's when I'd be selling. Sorry, bear, bear, bear in mind, this is this is only audio show, t- going down and going up. If you've, Sorry, if, if your return on capital employed is, uh, if your return on capital employed is, or your EPS is growing up, up, but your return on capital going employed down. is going down, you know, if you don't uh, like that. Yeah, materially going down because you're you're buying yeah. at the expense of returns, growth. Yeah, yeah. And lots of corporates end up chasing growth because they're under pressure from a public market EPS, perspective yeah, yeah. to deliver that EPS growth. Yeah. But like it has to be the gating factor. Yeah. Because it's easy to spend money. Yeah. Low returns. Yeah, yeah. Sure. And, and you know, we've had pressure, a uh, little bit of pressure, I'd say, at times from people saying, "You're not spending enough. You've got a strong balance sheet. Why don't you accelerate your spend?" And of course, we could do it. Yeah. But you know, we won't do it if we don't think we're going to generate the right returns because your goodwill is forever. You yeah. Know, you've got to deliver that return. And as I say, I won't, I won't name companies, yes. but you can go back and look at it. Quite a number of companies that were darlings of the market, that were growing at a uh, great clip. And then, you know, market gets mm. tough, times get tough, tide goes out a little bit, mm. and, you know, you're left exposed. And, and that's where discipline, financial discipline, uh, to us, is is just hugely important. I was going to mention it later, but again, um, while, while you've, you've said it there, would you, 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 um, you report quarterly, it's that that's self-imposed, I presume. You, you you could report it 
Uh, is that because of your U.S. business? You could report no, half essentially, yearly. Essentially, essentially, really, we we report half yearly, uh, but we have to we have to issue trading statements uh, in our AGM and, and, okay. and in February we issue an IMS. So we update the market every quarter. So that's we're obliged uh, we're obliged to do that. By but would you do uh, just on that point? Would you do anything very different if you were a private company? Do you think what would you do different if you're, differently if you're a private company? Yeah, I, I don't think we we do a lot differently, uh, Greg. In ways like the, the um, you know, kind of when you think about that, you know, and, and I, I often ask myself that question in, in making decisions. Mm. You know, to kind of are you making a decision if you make every decision kind of uh, on the basis of your wondering how you know it's going to be reacted by an individual shareholder or whatever else yeah well you'll paralyze yourself you know so you've got to have a very clear strategy you know you've got to you know then go execute against it and you've got to make the decisions Mm -hmm. based on you know Mm -hmm. your kind of strategy and that's where you know yeah let's say the rhythm and capital is very important i think the the one thing and 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 you know, I, I think it's a huge advantage in being a public company uh, because of that discipline, because we've got a report on a mm. regular basis, you know, and, and people often say, well, actually, do you make short term decisions? You know, we don't, you know, we very much make all our decisions on a long term. But now we're, maybe we're lucky in that the day to day nature of our businesses, you know, they're really day to day trading businesses. So, you know, we've got it like we can't, you know, we can't pull back. Yes for a period of time or manipulate something because, you know, if we don't sell it today, we don't sell it. So, you know, the business is the rhythm mm. is is very daily mm. oriented. You know, and then you're back to your decision on the deployment of capital. And like, it, I think that piece is, is where the public market keeps you really disciplined yes. because, you know, we, you know, we're in the spotlight all the time. We've got to buy things and we've got to deliver returns on mm. them pretty quickly. And if, you know, if we kind of said, well, oh, you know, we've made this great strategic investment uh, and it'll deliver in five years time. But in the meantime, our profits are going to go down. Mm. You know, that wouldn't go down very well yes. with the market. Yeah. But, but ultimately, the risk factor associated with that kind of an investment is much higher. So I think that discipline is really good. But I, I guess, Donald, you're, you've attracted over the years a certain type of investor because even based on my stockbroking experience, um, I'm trying to think what sort of bucket investors' uh, money comes for DCC because, you know, there was certainly a trend uh, still there, I think. But, the, you know, the, the, the specialist investor, I want to invest in technology, I'll go and buy a technology company, I want to invest in energy, I'll buy an energy company. What sort of investors actually, you know, like DCC and back, back DCC? Yeah, so uh, and, and the, the markets, Greg, as you know better than I do, have have changed fundamentally mm. over the last couple of years. So uh, there's a lot of different kind of investing styles. There's a load of passive stuff now that didn't exist to the same degree a number of uh, a number of years back. But the you know, if you like the active managers that invest in DCC, those that uh, really, uh, you know, the, the, the people that we go out to try and find the new ones, yes, of, yes. Like, uh, you know, they're all in the long only yeah. kind of category yeah. that are 
that have you know want to invest in businesses that generate high returns that are compounders that can yeah. deploy capital you know and take their cash redeploy the cash yeah. into the business and you know you look at uh, and and you know there's 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 things uh, in the market that we need to get better at in terms of selling selling the story. Mm. Uh, but like if you look at um, you know you look at the, the the track record of the group mm. over that twenty seven year period, there's very few companies that have that track record of growth and value creation. But, but like you know, our our um, you know we're talking about a lot. We'd be talking about it more. Uh, you know, we said we've we've an, a, an energy event coming up with our results on the seventeenth of May, and you know, there's no doubt that you know they you know the the focus on energy transition you know has been a challenge uh, for us, not from a a business perspective but from a market perspective because the market uh you know there's the big energy groups the big energy groups are all kind of reinventing reimagining yes. you know, repositioning themselves and you know and, and investors don't like risk associated with that and what's going to happen yep. and how much volume is there going to be you know in five years 10 years 15 yep. years time and 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 the piece that they're missing and and this is where we've got to get better at getting that message across you know is that it's actually not propane or diesel or kerosene or whatever that we sell to our customers we provide heat in the home we provide the energies for our commercial and industrial customers to run their factories, to run yep. their facilities. We provide the transport fuels, you know, to enable our customers to get from A to B, whether they're on a motorbike, a car, a bus, a train, yep. a plane. We're providing the energies. And the customer is going to require energy today, yep. 10 years, 20 years, 30 years time. But that energy is going to be lower carbon and ultimately no carbon. Mm. But actually, that creates way more opportunities yes. for us as a business than just yes. because we have these deeply embedded relationships with our customers. So, like, you know, if you think of a, you know, and even our own businesses, you know, we, we, we've set a 20% uh, target to reduce our scope one and scope two emissions by 2025, you know, and we're well on our way to achieving that. Each of our businesses and in all our sectors are working really hard to reduce their carbon emissions mm. and that's complex you know because you've got it yep. lower energy you know it might be changing the way you do things they don't even know where to start you know our business is supplying that solution yes. to the customer our business is helping the customer down that road so so the drive for carbon reduction is a real fillip yeah for the growth of our organization I get it yeah and you know this piece of well, you sell oil, you, sell, you know, we don't we provide energy, you know, and you know we've been talking a little bit more over the last couple of of, of uh, reporting cycles on you know our energy business on the shape. So thirty seven percent of our gross profit is commercial and industrial activity, forty one percent is domestic. So typically heating yep. in the home millions of customers that we're dealing with uh, across our businesses, you know, and 22% is in the mobility side. And each of those customer groupings has different transition pathways. Some mm. of them will transition faster. Some of them will transition slower, yeah. you know, but we're the people. Yeah. 
that are providing this, the energy services and products to them to help them on that transition journey. And you'll see us, you know, we're deploying capital in solar, we're deploying capital in biomass, we're deploying capital in renewable electricity. You know, we're expanding yes. the range of energy products and services that we're providing to our customers. And we're supplying 9 million customers today across 12 countries with energy. So, you know, the lifetime value of our customers through energy transition grows yes. as opposed to, now if you run a simple kind of slide that says, well, actually, you know, the volume of oil products will decline to 2030 or 2040 or whatever else. Well, of course that's right, but that's not going to have a negative impact on our business mm. because the volume of energy yes. is not going to, the energy is going to be different. Yeah. And we've got to work much harder with the markets to make sure the market fully understands that, that we've kind mm. of got cut up a little bit in a bucket with yes. big oil and gas businesses. Do you, Donald, do you think you, do you need to um, sort of hire some sort of new expertise in that sort of uh, maybe, you know, whether it's at head office level or, or, or below to really bulk up that whole sort of, it's a consultancy type of thing really, isn't it? Yeah, we've, we've, and we have done a lot of that, uh, Greg, already. We've, we've, a, we've a new IR team in place. That was something we invested uh, pretty, pretty uh, significantly in, in, yes. in the capability, you know, to, to, to accelerate that. We've done a huge amount of work in terms of the clarity of our strategy, you know, and uh, and we'll be bringing, we'll be talking uh, about that in much more detail in uh, in May. So uh, I think there's been there's been lots mm. of good work gone into it. It's not a they, these things are never magic bullets because it's uh, you know markets take time. But but I think the you know and you hear even Larry Fink kind of coming mm. out you know, talking about the uh, you know that investors because there's been such a focus on ESG yes. investing and it's been you know the information behind it hasn't been there. Yes. It's not you know it's not mature enough. Uh, and you know like the the investor world yes. you know is going to move on and the investor world is going to see actually well the people that are best positioned to transition energy are the people that are dealing with the customers, not all these clean tech companies sure, that sure. are, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and it feels to me, you know, very much like the old dot-com world yes. when you have lots of businesses that are, you know, valued at moon multiples, yes. you know, that'll never generate a return, yeah. you know, and that some of them will, there'll always be an Amazon or there'll be someone getting you know, a lot but, of attention. You know, yeah, but but there will be, you know, it'll shift them back to, you know, well, actually, it was the guys with the bricks and mortar. They were the ones that embraced, yes. you know, internet yeah, and yeah, internet yeah. development, yeah. e-commerce yeah. that actually really accelerated their growth. Uh, and I can remember going back uh, and even probably uh, in your old world, kind of coming in and sitting down and talking uh, to sales teams. Yeah. Back in the uh, back, you know, at the at the end of the nineties, and kind of people saying, "Well, you know, tech business that's going to get disintermediated. Everyone's going to buy. Look at that. Look at you know, and and look at you know where the growth has gone over the years because yeah. you adapt the technologies, yeah, yeah. you the processes, you evolve your business, and uh, you know. The Do you same. think, Donald, your your businesses and your leaders around the group are as tuned into it as you are? I, I think cross group, yeah, absolutely. It's it's 
uh, we live it every day. Uh, and, you know, it's one of the great things in Waysburg. Like, I, you know, I, I, um, it's an area I'm kind of passionate about. Uh, and, and it is because, you know, it's not because it's, uh, we've got to, you know, tell a story in a different mm. way. It's because actually we're really well positioned yes. to help the world to decarbonize because of those relationships, because of uh, the nature of our businesses. Uh, so I could go preaching it, yeah. but I don't need to because it's embedded in all our businesses because of the nature of what we do yeah. out there. You know, and and you know, we can't do it by ourselves. It's a combination of availability yeah. of product, it's a combination of government policy. It's, but we have, a, we have a unique position in the market because we're typically off the big gas grids, we're typically in rural areas, we're dealing with customers yeah. that are in that hard to abate category, yes. and we can bring those solutions yeah. to them. So, um, you know, we have a, when we have a pretty unique position, but we have, you know, very much aligned to, to, to our own purpose. You know, we have a, a real drive to make this happen and it, it's gotta happen for the planet. No, that that's 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 very good to hear. Um, I didn't expect that you were twiddling your thumbs for the last few years, so wondering what'll we do. But it's it's clear you're well evolved in it. Just to talking to you about sort of talent and people, you're you're over fourteen thousand, maybe fifteen thousand. I think you said earlier uh, at this stage. How do you identify your future stars, uh, the people that are going to be running the group when when you're gone, and and you know how, how does that happen? They're there, but but how do how do you actually? identify them and do you do you do you have some sort of a an academy thing going on and you get them to head office and stuff tell me about how, how that works yeah so, so again greg in a number of different levels within it uh, so we have uh, you know invested a lot uh, over the last uh, number of years in uh, in really uh, scaling up our uh, people development mm -hmm. uh, Activities across the organisation, you know, in, in, including we've, uh, you know, our, our, our head of human resources, Nicola McCracken, who who joined us a number of years ago, uh, to you know, and, and very much to, you know, going back to that piece of you know, which is absolutely, uh, that's a CEO say, but it's absolutely the case in our business that you know our fifteen thousand four hundred mm. people are our business yeah. because we buy and sell other people's products. So you know. We're devolved, so we have a small team at the center in, in all aspects, so it's devolved down into the businesses, but we've put really good structure and process around people development across our organization. So, you know, we use uh, we use success factors to manage our people across that devolved model. So mm -hmm. we have visibility of uh, people uh, across the organization. You know, we build uh, their career paths uh, for, for for people within the organization you know we have uh, our leadership development programs for high potential leaders that we put through uh, and you know again that's aligned to you know creating then the opportunities for them to to, to move yes. their careers on uh, within the organization you know it's not not massive but we have uh, for for quite some time we've had a graduate program within mm. the, the group as well and bringing in you know young new talent and giving Given them the benefit of diversity, which you don't get in lots of other organizations. So moving people on a programmatic basis across different 
businesses mm. across different sectors to build a, you know, a skill of being able to manage uh, within a, uh, a diverse uh, organization. So Donald, would, uh, would it be, it wouldn't be at all unreasonable, I imagine, that the next CEO of, of the group could be somebody from Almo that you haven't come across yet? Yeah, the, uh, absolutely. There, there's, um, you know, there isn't um, there isn't a difference, Greg. We don't kind of stand mm. back and say, well, actually, there's, you know, the the, the leader of tomorrow has got to come from the hundred people that work at the centre. Yes. You know, that's definitely not, uh, you know. And I've, you know, I joined the group in a group role. I spent a number of years running the technology division. I spent a lot of time in the energy businesses before taking on this role as mm-hmm. every every time I talk to our new graduates, yes. you know, I thought I, I, I didn't join as a graduate into DCC. I, I joined AIB yeah. many years as a graduate, you know, and kind of, uh, I, uh, you know, I, I only made one career move uh, and that was to join DCC in 98. But in one move, I moved into multiple yes. different industries yes. and I applied my trade across, if you like, multiple different industries and that builds the skills and yeah. capability. Else. So uh, it, it's really about that capability and skill set. And, you know, we've you know, worked with uh, quite a number of mm. people to make sure that we're building the skills yes. into people within the organization yeah. so that they can grow and develop their career. And, and, and absolutely, you know, there, there should be lots of them. Uh, I think that would it be fair to say, Donald, I know it's, 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 it's out there in the future, but would it be fair to say that you'd be very disappointed if the next CEO wasn't a person that had done their a good stint? Sorry, if, that it wouldn't be an external person. That you, oh yeah, like a, failed a, if that happened. We'd have, we'd, have, we'd have absolutely failed, and every time, Greg, and and, and this is, um, yeah, and, and and ultimately when we started, you know, really ramping up our investment in people across the organization, you know, part of the driver for that was we were recruiting too many people from the outside into businesses mm. and uh, into into different roles. So, you know, yeah, and you'll never get, you'll never have one hundred percent of your people are coming, you know internally all the time and it's it's helpful sometimes mm. to bring in a different perspective and some external uh, skills you know but you want it you want to really mm. be growing your own people because you know the culture yeah it's embedded yeah. in the people and it's you know and, and we, we've all done it we've we've all brought people in yeah. i've brought plenty of them, lots of them but i can name a, a number of yeah. people brought in the organization that that, that just the culture of ultimately wasn't right so uh it's it's much easier to do that and and, and ultimately to um you know to to run a group uh, like dcc i think uh, we talked about it earlier there's uh there's been three chief executives in uh in 27 DCC's years or whatever yeah. Time yeah. 1976 uh and um you know so uh, hopefully this one stays around for a bit uh but it is a um you know, like I think that's I think that's important yeah. that uh, you really understand the essence of the organisation, what what drives us. And I, I have a, you know, it's different, but like if you look at the average tenure of a chief executive in the FTSE 100 is Short. four point seven oh, no. years or something. It's it's not quite as bad as managers in the English Premiership, but it's it's getting there. But it, it is, yeah. yeah. And and you know, look, it's 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 very difficult to uh, it's very difficult to show that you've really made a difference yeah. in. in in a short period of it time is, yeah. with a business like uh, like our business yeah yeah 
I, I was going to, um, I think we're kind of nearly done, to be honest with you. We've covered a lot and it's, it's just come very naturally. I was going to ask you about your management style, but I, I think I've seen it and heard it. Uh, and and uh, unless you have anything, sort of a couple of mantras or anything that you really would would would, would like to, to um, call. To, to, I suppose there's a couple of things and I've always said is, Craig, you know, one, uh, and I've always lived it and mm. I say it to people at the organization, you've got to make yourself redundant all the time, mm. you know, because if you... If you think you know you're you can't be replaced, mm. or if you try and put yourself into that position, one you're not developing people, and two you can't progress yeah. yourself. And you know our, our our purpose is enabling people and businesses to grow and progress, mm. and that's as pertinent for the people within the organisation that we want to create an environment where people can grow and progress. Mm. And if we give them the opportunities to grow and progress, then they'll stay with us. Yeah. They'll drive the performance. They'll get well rewarded. All all those mm. things. So, so that piece is, is is very important, and you know it's just hugely important to us. And I think it's one of the benefits in ways when you're in an international business, actually coming from Ireland mm. as well. That actually, you know, just no arrogance. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. Being out there, being kind of, I, I I love coming to work mm. every day because we have a lovely bunch of people mm. that are really nice to mm. spend time with. Regardless of actually whether they're in out in our businesses yeah. across the twenty one countries or the team at the center, you know, we just drive that culture mm. of you know, being a good place to work, people working with each other, cut politics out, mm. all that stuff, you know, it just creates issues and get on and drive from have a bit of fun doing it, you know. But but it is it it creates that growth yes. us within the organization and if everyone kind of thinks that way then they'll deliver that way and uh, maybe it is a bit like the premiership you know the, the analogies there there are so many analogies with, with sport but actually in our in the last podcast we did we were talking about secret sauce and that but you've kind of you've encapsulated a bit of secret sauce there it's a, it's about relationships and it's about people working well together and getting the best out of each other and obviously selecting that team and developing that team it's it sounds easy and it sounds like it's sort of you just go through the paces and you'll do it, but so many don't do it. There's bunches of people that don't work well together, but you, you clearly have something, uh, something very good there. A really strong culture. It's 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 apparent uh, watching you from a distance, and it's apparent talking to you. So, I I think that's a that's a good note uh, to let you get back to uh, managing the detail. I really enjoyed talking to you, Don. That's been really a lovely conversation. It's also clarified. I was you know in in, in researching a bit for this chat. Yeah, I was getting my head around it again, but you've got it. You've got me around even more through the chat and the and the passion you have for it, and it's a, it's an outstanding success. And I know it's it's um, not even it's not even warming up yet. And, and the best of luck going forward. Um, Greg, it's great, lovely to meet you again, and uh, thanks very much. See you, Don. Bye bye. Cheers. Bye bye. Bye.